Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So be advised that we're just two idiots with a mic. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And welcome back. Wait, that's your episode 85. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by a little something called charisma. charisma. We love charisma. We love being charismatic. We're full of it. We love happiness. We are back. <laughs> we are back to our better selves. <laughs> Taylor landed on a plane last night at 12 a.m. in Knoxville, and we're back with uh, some charisma. <laughs> Ollie got his balls cut open, but we're still here with some charisma. charisma. <laughs> They're like, what is happening? What the fuck is happening? So um, <laughs> you're going to hear a lot more about it on the next Shots Fired. So if you're not a patron, you probably want to join that to learn what the hell we're talking about. Go ahead and join. We've got a message for you. It'll be coming sooner rather than and later. And it's called charisma. Charisma. We love it. What it's we- a little something called charisma. <laughs> okay. Sorry. How was my week without you? Yeah, how was it? It was. It was amazing. It was fucking great. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Actually, my work week got slammed. Yeah. It was... It was eventful, to say the least. Yeah. So, well, it was relaxing after work. <laughs> yeah. During work, I still wanted to pull my hair out, but it was good. It was good. Ollie got neutered, like I said, and we're dealing with that right now because he's a psycho and can rip the cone. What dog can rip the cone that's threaded into their collar off their head? Let me know. Leave it in the comments. Psycho. Um, if you don't follow him on Instagram, it's at Ollie's World. He's currently looking for a new home. He's trying to be rehomed, um, preferably a cone-free home. household. So if you have that to offer him, please reach out to him. And I know he'd love to um, do a couple interviews with you. And he's also looking to get his balls back. So Yeah, if you guys could also manage that, it'd be great. Yeah. Taylor, how was California? Uh, it was amazing. You look like a Cali girl. Like, maybe you should move out there. <laughs> maybe I should go. So we went to San Diego first, right? And I was expecting fully that I was going to like San, um, 
San Diego a lot better than LA just because of what people say they're like you know most people are like you're gonna hate LA when you go like it's just not what you think it is I loved LA yeah I was you're totally in your element I was I loved it it was so fun and we didn't we did like one day of like touristy shit but there's really not much to see tourist wise like we did a Warner Brothers studio tour because you know my husband Logan he's a movie fiend like obsessed with all things movies so we went to go see that we got to see like the you know the cast of friends um their set their set the final set of the central park uh park cafe and all that stuff so that was really dope but um my favorite part about the entire trip was the food the food was amazing i didn't never i never got my korean corn dog because we went to this Korean barbecue place instead and the Korean corn dog place was right beside it but we just ended up just taking our time and eating there and I was like like, first off I was so full and it was like 11 o'clock their time which was like three basically our time so I was dead and we were flying out the next day so this was Saturday night yeah because we no we left Saturday it was Friday night but we had a great time and I got to go to Melrose, which was my number one thing I wanted to do. And so cool. the food there was amazing. And then we went back to pretty this, penny. Oh, pretty penny. Beautiful <laughs> penny. Actually, it was worth all the pennies, actually. But we got to go eat at this amazing Italian restaurant. And if you know me, I'm obsessed with Italian food. I'm mm-hmm. ex- obsessed with all food, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, but pasta is your shit. Pasta is my shit. I will and eat Mexican pasta. Mexican is Logan's. Yeah, Mexican is Logan's. Italian is mine, but we both love like Korean food mm-hmm. so much. Just Asian food in general is my favorite yeah. also. So we ate the best sushi ever. We had Korean barbecue. We had b- California burritos. We had so tacos. Good. We had pasta. We ate our little asses off. And then um, we went to Melrose. We went back to Melrose before we left because there's this place called Alfred's. It's like a coffee joint. Okay, Sophie and Chenzia. You guys know I love Sophie and Chenzia. They go there every time they come to LA. And they come like You're trying to be like Sophie and Chenzia. Oh, it's really no. sad. It's, this you podcast your, has gone downhill. You lost your charisma. I miss the, <laughs> what are, the charismatic ladies that they used to be. Aww. <laughs> Aww. I hate that for you. Um, Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) But we went to go eat at, I mean, had got coffee at Alfred's. Amazing. And then we went to Dialogue, which is their favorite like breakfast spot there. And they're known for their like cheesy, fluffy scrambled eggs. And you don't like eggs, but they, Chinzia always gets this giant acai bowl and like just talks about it for hours every time. So I forced Logan and Chris, who we went out there to see. Logan's a really good friend from college. And then Parker came and met it's us. Actually, fun fact, Chris was an RA on my floor. Yes. Freshman year, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Chris, uh, we went to go see them. And so we hung out the entire day at Venice uh, Beach. But before that, we went on that hike where you can see downtown LA and the Hollywood sign. Mm-hmm. So we took, it's Runyon Canyon, if anybody wants to go. It's so worth it. It's not yeah. that bad of a hike. But don't go to the main entrance where the main trailhead is. Go to the back entrance which is off this like main hill. You don't have to do the full two mile hike. You can just do like a half mile. It's great. Um, So anyways, we went there and then afterwards we were starving. I was like, well, I'm going to dialogue. I don't care what you guys do. And they're like, oh, we'll go. And Chris is like, I've never tried that before. And he's been living there since for four years. Like we haven't seen Mm -hmm. this dude in four years. And he's like one of our best friends. So anyways, we, I took them on. He's like, no, this is my new spot because it is so effing (sighs) good. It was the best. It was the best breakfast food I've ever had. Stop. Yeah, it was amazing. I could always fuck up a good 
smoothie bowl. Yes. And I got to go see Lexi. Yeah. And I got to meet um, Celia. And she's amazing. And I'm so excited I for them to come I can't wait here. to see them. I know. You're going to die when they come here. You're, we're going to have the best time ever. Soon. Soon. June, right? In June. Yeah. Lexi girl. Lexi. You're listening. We'll see ya. We're ready for ya. But um, yeah, that's really it. We had an amazing time. I, I can't. Oh, I got to see all of the props used in the Annabelle's and Conjuring's. Oh, no. I took pictures of the satanic books for you guys. Um, So I'll post them on our Instagram. Now. Yeah. Immediately now. Well, I think we have some news that we can share now that it's officially announced. What? Um, our bartender Bailey. Oh, I was like, go ahead. News. Um, bartender Bailey's pregnant. She's having a little baby that vodka. <laughs> a little baby vodka. A little baby Bailey cream vodka <laughs> liqueur. <laughs> little Bailey's Irish cream. Yeah, whatever the hell it's called. But yeah, we're gonna be ants, creeps and yeah. crimey ants, officially. And Lexi Tatano's. Oh, having she a announced baby. that I was on the same. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. We and have Lexi. Two, we have two babies. Two babies. So we're super excited. I'm for you scared. Guys. <laughs> Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you. Uh, anyways, but I think that's all I have to say in this intro. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm like I'm so ready. spacey right I'm now. I'm ready to give you guys a chariz- charismatic episode. Yeah. So if you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. And charismatic. And also, before we get into this, we have to give a shout out to our Patreon of the month. Oh, who is it? Who it is, is it? Drum Sarah Grace. We yeah. love you, Sarah Grace. Sorry, I don't know day why I'm one. being quiet. <laughs> like, She's a day one. Yeah. She's dope as fuck. Sarah so. Grace and I went to high school together and uh, we always hung out with like the same groups and we cheered together. And then when we started the podcast, she was one of our very first listeners. Yeah. Like she li- was like she was like. She won our first giveaway. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so we've talked with her for a long time, and she's always, like, the best to us. So yeah. we love you, Sarah Grace, and thank we you so, for so much everything that you've done for us. Supporting and us. being a Patreon for us since day one. So we love you. Love you. Thank you. You guys know that our lives are crazy right now. With trip after trip. Wedding after wedding. And now, baby after baby. At the end of what feels like an endless workday, the last thing I want to do is cook dinner. But when your fridge is empty, that urge to order in and skip the cooking happens all too often. Thanks to Daily Harvest, a sponsor of Creeps and Crimes, I don't have that takeout temptation anymore. Daily Harvest helps me keep my freezer fully stocked with options that are delivered right to my door and are delicious, nourishing, and ready in minutes. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads, snacks, smoothies, lattes, and more built on organic fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest has delicious options for any time of the day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and dessert. Everything is always on hand in your freezer and ready to enjoy when you need it. My personal favorite is the strawberry peach smoothie. It is to die for. Oh my God, it's so good. But my favorite right now is their curry vegetable harvest bake, which you're going to hear a lot more about later. Me and Logan loved it so much. It's all he can talk about. Not to mention their healthy, clean options that keep you on track during those busy nights. With Daily Harvest, I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. They create food that is both good for my health and 
and the health of the planet. By supporting farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity and improve the health of our soil, they deliver food and recyclable and composting packaging. Daily Harvest does the work, so all you have to do is eat. My favorite thing to do. New on the scene is their delicious, which I already talked about, Harvest Bake. For those moments when you're looking for that homemade feel without any of the work, they are ready to bake veg-packed dishes sizzling with gourmet-level flavors that are big enough to share. You just don't want to. Avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com slash creepsandcrimes to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash creepsandcrimes for up to $40 off of your first box. dailyharvest.com slash creepsandcrimes. All right, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Were you waiting okay. for the cue? I was kind of. Um, today I'm going to be getting a little sciencey with you guys, a little Bill Nye. So um, truthfully, though, this is a little bit out of my range. It's still creepy nonetheless, but it's an area that I don't dive into much, which is like some hardcore science. Oh, yeah. I'm always like, they allegedly or they cons- yeah. they theorize. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about the Wick effect or more commonly known as the reason behind spontaneous human combustion i'm so excited so, yeah let's i'm dive so into excited it. 92 year old dr j irving bentley was an elderly elderly, elderly, elderly. gentleman <laughs> who loved to smoke his pipe and because of this he was always carrying around matches in his robe pockets getting big hugh hefner vibes here dr. yeah <laughs> your <laughs> robe you're smoking a pipe like, right come on um, Dr. Bentley was a family physician in Cotter Sport, Pennsylvania from 1925 until he retired in 1953. In 1947, he had suffered from a fractured hip, preventing him a lot of mobility and leaving him to be infirm in his senior year. So a mm-hmm. caregiver ha- having to come and take care of him. Um, he stayed around the ha- area of Cotter Sport and remained in his house. On December 5th, 1966, a man named Don Gosnell, who was a meter reader for the North Penn Gas Company, arrived at Dr. Bentley's home and let himself in, which I know that sounds crazy, but we have to think this is 1966. Meters were read every month. You usually would create a relationship with the people inside the house. And like it wasn't unusual. He would come often. He knew the 92 year old retired doctor was you know, basically bedridden at this point. Right, like yeah. needed help. So he was just letting himself in, and Dr. Bentley was okay with this arrangement. But this time, when Don Gosnell entered the house, he noticed something. A light blue smoke and a strange smell that he would later describe as being somewhat sweet, like starting up a new oil burning system. He thought, well, maybe the doctor was just burning something in the kitchen. So he headed down to the basement to read the meter when he saw a pile of ash on the basement floor. And when he looked above this pile of ash, there was a burned hole from the floor above. Oh, shit. Clearly, now panicked and concerned about Dr. Bentley's safety, Don rushed up the stairs to see a gruesome scene in the bathroom. Here he found a giant hole measuring two foot by four foot that was burned through the ground right underneath Dr. Bentley's walker. A burned robe in the nearby tub in the leg of Dr. John Irving Bentley with the shoes still intact. Oh, shit. The rest of his remains were burned to ashes. Don Gosnell ran out of the house and back to the gas company screaming, Dr. Bentley's burned up. When first responders arrived, there were few signs of fire damage throughout the house. The nearby tub was basically untouched and the rubber tips on his walker were still intact. 
The official cause of death was recorded as death by asphyxiation and 90% burning, sorry, and 90% burning of the body. I'm not even laughing about that, but like you don't even have a body to say like Right, like 90% burning, what's the other 10% is leg? Right. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, guys. Sorry. With the conclusion in theory that Dr. Bentley had set fire to himself in the bedroom with his pipe and went into the bathroom in an attempt to extinguish the flames. That Got was it. their theory, which, yes, this is possible. But his pipe was found untouched with no evidence that it had actually even been used recently. It was laying peacefully on his bedside table. They estimated that the fire that burned Dr. Bentley um, was around 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy shit. And how could a man catch fire and burn completely without igniting everything around him? Many people present Dr. Bailey, Be- that, sorry, Bentley's case as one of the best examples of SHC or spontaneous human combustion. Spontaneous human combustion occurs when a person bursts into flames from a chemical reaction within them without being ignited by an external heat source. Say what? We can just blow up? Apparently. (laughs) Taylor, I'm going to show you the picture of the the scene of Dr. Bentley's bathroom. (gasps) Oh, my. Oh, the leg. Look at the water right above the floor. That is crazy looking. Toilet's not burned. Nothing else is burnt. It's literally just where he was standing apparently right and his legs just like chilling he just, like fell into the it's like half a calf like the too. floor like caved in and he, yeah like he like burned through the floor that's and the, his leg looks like there's no burn mark no it literally looks like it was just like like crazy yeah not crazy that is wild so scary do you I feel have like more I'm gonna, pictures yes okay <laughs> um i feel like i'm just gonna blow up at any second i know me um, too yeah so apparently we can just blow up alleged shc accounts date back to ni- or 1663 holy shit when a danish ana- anatomist thomas Bathelin described the or sorry described a woman in paris as going up in ashes in smoke while sleeping oh shit and this is 1663 so what were mattresses made out of do you have any good guess straw <laughs> they were made out of straw oh my like, god hey hey straw and the straw mattress that this woman was sleeping on was untouched oh, by the fire no shot literally that's what they say and, unless well that's what i'm saying like no shot that she was ever like actually put on fire like because you get right some you get like a you're like ashing out something and you're, the whole bed's on fire. you walk by with a cigarette and you barely like pop it off or like a little piece falls off boom yeah. gone your barn done like this woman was burned from the inside out yeah um your barn since 1663 there have been hundreds of accounts of spontaneous human combustion the death of helen conway is an example of this 51 year old helen conway was babysitting her two grandchildren the children of her daughter and son-in-law on November 8th, 1964, in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure what's going on with Pennsylvania, but... That's what I was about to say. It's kind of freaking me out a little bit. Are you going to spontaneously combust gonna, right now? Are we going to catch it on camera, me going in Oh, my God. We would get so famous. Do it. Do it. Let me, like, <laughs> yeah, get focused. Yeah, get focused. <laughs> Let me get focused and get it together. So, on November 8th, 1964, in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, at 8.42 a.m., Helen's granddaughter delivered a book of matches to her grandmother, Helen, upstairs after her grandmother had asked her to bring them. Okay. A couple minutes after this, the neighbor across the street who was headed to church noticed an odd glow coming from the upstairs window. A glow. She ran over to the house and wasn't able to make it upstairs because the heat was so intense. She ran back home and called the fire department. Within minutes, the fire department was there. Also snaps to them because that doesn't happen anymore. Whoa. Yeah. No way. Um, 
making their way up Helen's stairs and searching the smoke-filled bedroom. One firefighter stuck his hand into, quote, something greasy, which were the remains of Helen Conway. When the smoke cleared out, they saw a sight that they had never known to be possible. Melting into the chair were just the lower limbs of Helen Conway's body. All that was left were her legs from the knees down. Oh, my God. Just they like his. They were unburnt, but blistered. Yeah. Just like his. Just it's like weird. his. They're all, all the stories are kind of the same. Yeah. Her left arm, which only, sorry, her left arm was still there, um, which only the bone remained and had a bracelet dangling from the bone. Um, the only signs of fire damage in the room was the chair that Helen was sitting on. Um, there was a telephone that was on a nearby table that had began to melt, but it showed no signs of fire damage. It was more so like heat. Oh, like a heat damage. Helted, yeah. Or, yeah. Helted from the, the Helted meat. from the melted. <laughs> yeah. Melted from the heat. Um, and there was a pack of cigarettes on that same table that was untouched. And that was paper. They're paper cartridges. So right. that's why they assumed it was heat because yeah. the fire didn't get to it. Um, the sheets on the bed were untouched by the fire and the highly flammable dolls on her dresser right next to the couch were also untouched. Investigators believed it was foul play due to the rate and intensity at which the fire burned. An estimated 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, beginning and ending in six minutes. Whoa. Helen's death is a prime example of the wick effect. So this is really blurry, but you can <gasps> see it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy. That is insane looking. That is insane. Yeah. Oh my God. So, what is the Wick effect? The Wikipedia definition is that the Wick effect is the partial or total destruction of human body by fire. But how does it work? It's theorized that the clothing of the victim, so what we're wearing right now, is going to soak up melted human fat and it'll act like the wick of a candle. So this clothed human body will act like, think of it as like an inside out candle um, with the fuel fuel source being human fat inside and the wick, a.k.a. the clothes outside. Right. So the human fat is the candle Mm -hmm. and the wick is the clothes. Um, Human fat contains a large amount of energy due to the presence of long hydrocarbon chains. Therefore, there is a continuous supply of fuel in the form of melting fat that seeps into the victim's clothing. Often, what sets a spontaneous combustion off is accidentally either igniting yourself with a cigarette, a lighter, a stove, oven, car, etc. Like a lot of the examples we'll see, um, well, you know, they're smokers. So that's what they get it from. But actual human, spontaneous human combustion can just be like the temperature of the room or the temperature of the area. Like it does, you don't have to have, like you are your own source. Oh, whoa. you don't have to have an outside source. Like and if you're like running a fever, even. that's what they're been trying to prove. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're running a fever, you fucked. Oh my God. You're going um, down. Mary Harder Resser, 67 years old of St. Petersburg, Florida's death is believed to be a case of the wick effect. Around 8 a.m. on July 2nd, 1951, Mary's landlady, Pansy Carpenter, arrived at her apartment on 1200 Cherry Street, Northeast St. Petersburg, Florida, with a telegram. I love you, Cherry Street. Can you imagine just being like, I have to go to your house. I have a telegram for you. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I do too. I love that energy fun. and that vibe. I love a cherry, anything called Cherry Street. I, For some reason, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, that. Knoxville is a really great Cherry Street. Is there a Cherry Street here? Mm-hmm. Where is it at? Mm-hmm. Is it in North Knoxville? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Damn it. Yeah, right by the zoo. Um, oh, God. <laughs> no, not the zoo. We love Cherry Street. We love a Cherry Street. Um, But the landlady, Pansy, love that name too, yeah. was stopped at the door when she noticed it was uncomfortably warm to the touch and called the police for some help. Yeah. When they entered the apartment, they were thrown back with a gust of hot air. The home showed some signs of fire, mostly smoke, and Mary was not answering any calls out to her. Her remains, which were mostly ashes, were found among the remains of a chair that she had been sitting in. All that was there was her left foot, still wearing a black satin slipper, her charred liver that had been fused to a fragment of her vertebrae, and a shrunken skull that was the size of a teacup. You're kidding. Basically, this 170-pound woman was reduced to a pile of remains that weighed less than 10 pounds. Whoa. Um, Dr. Wilton Krogman, who was the leading American forensic expert on the subject death by fire, was called in to study Mary's case. In 25 years of working, he was thrown back at Mary's shrunken skull. Yeah. Because in deaths by burning, the skull actually expands. <gasps> Mary was estimated to burn at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. <gasps> Her case was so astounding that the police chief sent a box of evidence to a man named J. Edgar Hoover, a.k.a. the man in charge of the FBI at the time. Oh, wow. He was the leader. Yeah. With a note that said, we request any information or theories that could explain how a human body could be so destroyed and the fire confined to such a small area and so little damage done to the structure of the building and furniture in the room, not even scorched or damaged by the smoke. Well, this guy, J. Edgar Hoover, was like, what? And I'm on it. He runs to President Harry Truman. Oh, okay. Harry okay. Truman's in on this case, and they discuss Mary's case together. On August 8th, the FBI ruled Mary Reeser's death to have been due to something called the Wick Effect. So the FBI is confirming that the Wick Effect it's is real. real. Or at least they did back in 19, what was that year that I said? 51. 51. So um, saying that she had taken her, reg- this was their theory, that she had taken her regular dose of sleeping pills and fell asleep while smoking a cigarette in her armchair. They then claimed that the nightgown, which was a satin nightgown, her robe and slippers that she was last seen alive in acted as a wick and her body fat kept the fire going until she had been completely consumed whoa <gasps> you can't even see it oh my god you can't even see anything it's just no. a pile yep wow it's crazy that is so wild the hundreds of alleged um spontaneous it's a crazy <laughs> spontaneous human combustion accounts follow the same pattern the victim is almost completely consumed usually inside their home first responders at the scene notice a sweet smoky smell in the room um, the room around the person will show minimal fire damage, and usually some type of extremities, aka limbs, will remain intact. Um, the BBC television program QED conducted a large-scale experiment studying the wick effect. During their documentary, they wrapped a dead pig in a blanket and placed it in a furnished room. The blanket was then lit with a small amount of petrol. Petrol? Petrol? I don't know. Um. The body of the pig took a little bit of time to ignite, and it then burned at a very high temperature with very minimal flames. Okay. Victims of spontaneous human combustion don't always just burst into flames. Some have reported to develop strange burns on their bodies with no obvious source. And not every person who supposedly caught fire has died. Yes, people have experienced SHC and live to tell the tale. 
No way. In 1985, Frank Baker, a Vietnam veteran living in Vermont, claims he spontaneously caught fire while sitting on his couch. Claims yes, because Frank Baker lived to tell the tale. According to the Huffington Post, Huffington, Huffington Post, (laughs) um, Frank Baker said on an episode of The Unexplained Files that, quote, we were getting ready for fishing and sitting on the couch. Everything was great. Pete, who's my friend that we call Willie, was sitting next to me and we were just having a hell of a time. That is until Frank began to have literal flames come from his body. (laughs) Shit. His friend Willie says, it was the damnedest thing I've ever seen. Frank was freaking out and making me freak out. I'm like, dude, your friend's on fire. Like, of course he's going to freak freak out. out. If you were on fire, I'd freak out. He's like, I mean, what? Frank, don't freak out, man. Like, (laughs) you're just on fire. Like, it's totally cool. You're just fucking starting fires with your thoughts right now. Willie, come on. Like, I'd freak out. Everyone would freak out. Everybody would freak out. Willie, you would freak out. Willie. You didn't freak out, apparently, <laughs> but... Um, Frank. So Frank started panicking, was trying everything he could to stop his body from being burned. Frank said, I had no idea what was taking place on my body. Not a single clue. Um, the two friends were able to somehow put the flames out, and they went straight to the hospital, only to receive... Sorry, only to receive a diagnosis that was almost as shocking as the flames that lit up on his body. The doctor came in and said, Frank, you burned from the inside out. That's so what wild. The what the fuck? For an object to spontaneously combust, three things need to happen. One, the body must be heated to its ignition temperature or the point at which it will catch fire without being exposed to an external flame or spark. Two, the heat building up inside can no longer escape. And three, if it's being exposed to a steady like flow of oxygen, boom, spontaneous boom. freaking combustion. Um, it is a phenomenon. And people actually debate if it's real or not but before i end up i before i why am i losing my train of thought before i end i have to tell you guys something okay so i read i thought i put it in my notes but i guess i didn't that people will report like getting these burn spots on their bodies and being like i didn't get burned no like where are these coming from now i gotta look all over me yeah what if that's what birthmarks are what signs of spontaneous combustion yeah what if you just catch fire in the womb maybe you know that shit's hot in there. Yeah. I mean, because you have your body temperature and then your mom's body temperature. Yeah. And, you know, you get hot as shit when you're I pregnant. I don't know. So if you're, like, scared that you're going to just magically blow up because I, I kind of I'm am. I'm kind of scared for you. Um, Yeah, just check yourself. Make sure there's no flames coming here or there. Be sure that you sure record it. make sure there's no, like, blisters. And also make sure you record it so mm-hmm. we can and then submit it as a creepy account. But yeah. don't die. Yeah. Well, if you do die, just write that down in your will. If I happen to spontaneously... Wait spontaneously spontaneously combust please uh, creeps and crimes has all rights to this <laughs> video put that in your will creeps and crimes llc and don't let us tell you again <laughs> yeah <laughs> period because morgan and i have this written agreement basically yeah. um it's if one of us dies the other one has full like ability to capitalize on our death <laughs> And to do it in the best way possible. Can I can I pause here? Taylor has already capitalized on my death in a TikTok, guys. And I'm still here. I have. She's already capitalizing my death. I'm still alive. <laughs> you have to go look at that TikTok. It's it Morgan's fucking funeral. Hilarious. It's hilarious. But anyway, that's all I have today. It was just a fun little sciencey segment. Yeah. To I, get us I enjoyed back it. Into the flow. Did you enjoy I it? I loved it. I, re- I really loved it. And I liked you I would, being able to do science. That's your yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was fun. I liked that they had pictures. I, the best part is the pictures. And I'm really curious. Why do you think the like 
lead of the FBI had to go like discuss this with the fuck because he president. was probably like, dude, this shit is whack. Like we got to bring the president, Mr. President. People are blowing up. People are literally blowing up. And it's mainly in Pennsylvania for what reason? <laughs> maybe maybe that's maybe what it steel, is. Maybe the steel, the coal. Yeah. And y'all's water because your water is weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Man. Maybe we just did something here. Um, spontaneous human fetal But like how do you explain? I mean, there's combustion. hundreds of accounts. Ireland, Paris. Yeah. But yeah. Fake. Pennsylvania only. Pennsylvania only. If you're listening and you live in Pennsylvania, guess what? You might. Put us in your will. Put us in your will right now. Just okay. in case. That's all I have. Taylor? Okay. It's what my do you have for us today? I have a really sad one, so hold oh, on. Oh, great. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly the high point of our academic careers. Specifically with me and my French classes, I did not retain a single thing. Like, sorry, madame, but it just wasn't there for us. (laughs) Just wasn't it. Now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons. Lessons that you'll actually use in the real world, like how the next time I go to Italy, I'm not going to have to worry about ordering my coffee in a hurry at the train station. I'm going <laughs> to know exactly what to say, unlike the first time I did and it. it's definitely going to help us in the podcast. Oh, 100%. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, a sponsor of Creeps and Crimes, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. We need that. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to the lessons, you get access to podcast games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, save up to 60% off of your subscription when you go to Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creeps and crimes. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creeps and crimes for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Okay, guys, so today I'm going to be covering the case of Casey Woody. And during this case, we're going to try our like very best. Morgan, I haven't told you this yet, um, but to not curse throughout this entire thing. Okay. Because I would really, um, I think this is a really good case to share with, you know, your younger daughters or sons or just kids in general, you know, that are having phones and being online because this case is really sad, um, but it's a scary reality that we live with, with the internet. So... Okay, so if you are doing that, make sure you start at the 30-minute mark. Yeah, do not start now. Well, do not start now. Start now. Do not start in the beginning. But you won't hear this until the middle, so. Hi. Hi. All right, guys. So this is the case of Casey Woody. And for this case, I'm going to be reading off my sources um, just because of some stuff that's gone on with this case and the reportings on this case um, with other podcasts. But uh, as normal, you will be able to find these in our description of the episode. But my sources for today's episode are Casey Woody Foundation, Casey's Story, 
an article off of ArkansasOnline.com, which was originally written by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and it's called Caught in the Web. It's a four-part series by Kathy Fry, written in 2003. The Los Angeles Times, um, article written by Tony Perry in 2002. Web of Lies, Man with a Van, Catfish, Killer, Investigation, Discovery. The San Diego Union-Tribune, article written by Mark Arner in 2002. Find a Grave um, for three different sources on there. Um, the Associated Press, Green Barrier, I think that's how you say it. Green, is it Green? Greenbrier. Greenbrier, Arkansas with KLRT um, TV. And then David Leslie Fuller, KATV interview with Tim Woody and Wikipedia. All right. Yeah, don't come after me for the Wikipedia. You'll understand why I needed it when we go through this keep listening all right so Casey Renee Woody was born on October 17th 1989 in Little Rock Arkansas to Rick and Christy Woody um Casey had two brothers named Austin and Tim and Casey was the little princess of the family I'm talking the baby and the only girl like everything she wanted according to her family and friends all it took for her to get her way was flashing a big brown-eyed puppy dog you know like thing that all the little girls know how to do yeah. we, we learn how to work our eyes from day one for sure and if that didn't work a but daddy i love you aka That'll another thing the girls know how to get their dads <laughs> um but casey and uh, her mother, Christy, they were extremely close and she was her mother's shadow. She would follow everywhere that her mother went and the two just had an amazing relationship and they were extremely close. So Christy, her mother, loved horses. She collected hundreds of beautiful figurines and photos of horses and Casey loved this about her mother and her passion for these animals in fact just a few years before Casey was born Christy and Rick moved their entire family to Faulkner County Um, because of the school systems in this area it was very small and quaint and just safe and sparsely populated so they lived out on a big plot of land that was far away from other people and Christy and Christy's mother Um, Her name was Isla, kept horses on the Woody's new property, and they owned several horses. They did shows, they rode their horses for hours a day and groomed them to perfection together. It was something that all the women just loved doing with each other. So Kathy Fry wrote that at home, Casey was a, quote, model child. She was empathetic, kind to others, willing to help any and everyone that needed it. Um, But she was very quiet and respectful when when around adults and strangers. But at home, she was the star of the show. Casey loved singing, being with friends, watching Grease the Musical while performing the dances and songs along with the movie for her family. Me too. Me too. (laughs) And at the age of seven, on June 19th, 1997, Casey, her brothers, and her parents were on their way home from her brother Tim's baseball game. As they were driving on Arkansas 287, Tim, exhausted from his game, was chilling in the back with Casey, who was going in and out of sleep after cheering on her big brother um, as Rick was driving and Christy was in the passenger seat. The family's Lincoln townhome was cruising along when two horses ran out onto the road. Rick did his best to avoid the animals and save his family, but it was too late. One of the horses ran directly in front of their car, smashing through the windshield. Glass was shattered all around and immediately Rick looked over at his wife and he could tell that she was gone. 
She was covered in glass and blood. He turned to check on Tim and Casey who were in the back when he realized that his ribs were completely broken. He was in extreme pain, but his babies were okay. He tried his best to reach back and cover their eyes, but he just couldn't move. He screamed for Tim to put his sister onto the floorboard and not look, but there was just too much glass everywhere. Luckily, or maybe not, um, the family's close friends were close behind and saw the entire thing. They quickly jumped out of their car and put Tim and Casey in theirs while calling for help. According to Kathy Fry, Casey later told her aunt that she saw her mom and she heard as she made as she made her last sound, which was actually her last breath or better known as the death rattle. Oh, no. Yeah. From that day on, Casey hated horses, but she kept all of her mother's collections as a piece of her. Casey became close with her brother's girlfriends, her aunts and all of the her mom's friends and the friends of her mom's. Yeah. And these women were her maternal connection. They took her shopping. They got her hair done. They taught her how to do her makeup, warned her about periods and how to use pads and tampons, all the things that were taken away from her when her mother passed away. This made Casey more mature, but at the same time, it made her a lot more trusting of others because she had a great village, a village that loved her, a village that raised her and taught her. Casey, her father, Rick, and brothers were extremely close, and they operated as a unit. Rick needed his village, though, because he was a police officer, and after the death of his wife, he began working the night shift, so that way he could be with his children during the day, take them to school, feed them dinner, and spend some time with them, and just work at night. At night, because Austin and Tim were a lot older than Casey, they were able to, you know, stay at home with Casey and be fine, and not to mention the fact that Rick was a police officer, so he was a 15-minute drive away at all times. Yeah. And Christy's sister, uh, Casey's maternal aunt, Teresa Paul, lived next door. Teresa was always around, and she served as a mother to her sister's kids after she passed, but it also helped Teresa, because in 1994, three years before Christie's tragic death, Teresa's daughter, 17-year-old Jonah, died in a car accident. The Woody's home was an extremely rural area. There were lots of woods surrounding the home, and because of this, most of the calls in the like out of the house had to be long distance, so calling your friends and talking for hours like we used to do just wasn't really an option for Casey and her brothers. Therefore, they used um, instant messaging on the internet, and Casey's username was modelbehavior63. Yes, girl. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yes, girl. By summer of 2002, Austin had moved out of the family home, and Tim, 19 at the time, was living there while going to college, and Rick allowed Tim's friend, 19-year-old Eric, to move in with the family. Eric was a great kid and was now a part of the family, a big brother to Casey and a son to Rick. Casey was in seventh grade at Green, how do you say that? Greenbrier. Greenbrier Middle School, and she and her best friends, Jessica and Sam, chatted all day long after school on Yahoo Messenger and spent the nights, spent most nights every weekend together. Um, During one of these sleepovers in mid-2002, the girls decided to begin using chat rooms to meet boys. But to keep themselves safe, they decided to join the Yahoo Christian teen chat room in hopes of meeting good young men that, you know, were Christian. So it was totally safe, right? It's Christian. Almost 13 years old, uh, almost 13 year old, I'm sorry, Casey began chatting with a guy with the username Jazzman underscore DF. Jazzman was a 17 year old boy named Dave Fagan whose profile picture was a surfer dude who loved the water and being on the beach living in San Diego, California. 
The two really headed off because Dave began telling Casey about his family that lived in Arkansas, specifically about his aunt, who he was extremely close with. Unfortunately, his aunt had recently been in a bad car accident that left her in a coma, and her situation was critical. This bonded Casey and Dave on a deeper level because it was someone who Casey could relate with, talk about her mother to, and feel safe chatting with. Casey and Dave were extremely close at this point, messaging back and forth for hours each night. Casey talked about Dave and his life to her best friends and family, and she was quickly falling in love with him. Jessica and Sam befriended Dave on their Yahoo buddy list, and they would chat in groups often. The girls all found Dave's chatting odd, though, because he would use terms like groovy or far out or wicked. Um, But they just wrote it off of, like, California slang. Yeah, surfer slang. Right. (laughs) And before school started in the fall of 2002, Casey told Rick about, who's her father, about Dave's birthday, which was coming up, revealing that he would be turning 18. Rick was infuriated with his daughter, almost 13-year-old, not even 13-year-old at the time, 12-year-old, because she was not to speak to anybody that wasn't her age, you know, right. in general. That's Especially dangerous. An 18-year-old right, that's boy. Chatting with a 12-year-old, red yeah. flag, you know? So he's like, you're not allowed to talk to with him anymore. But Casey disobeyed, laughing it off as her father just being dramatic because, you know, she, he doesn't know Dave. Dave's my friend. He's like mm-hmm. a big brother to me. Even talking about this with Dave and making fun of her father. Right before Casey's 13th birthday, she had officially began a long-distance dating relationship with a 14-year-old boy from Alpharetta, Georgia, using the username Taz2999. Um, His real name was Scott, though, and Scott played football, which was what his um, profile picture was. And he also played wrestling and loved his sports. Casey told Dave about her and uh, Scott's relationship, and Dave didn't really seem to get upset about this because she promised that they would continue being best friends. But at this point, Dave began sharing more and more about his aunt and her critical condition. Casey promised to be there for Dave, and despite the long-distance phone calls, she gave Dave her home phone number, and they would talk at night when her father was at work. Scott knew Dave, and the two chatted often, too, and they even spoke on the phone. Like That's kind of weird. Yeah. And one night, Scott's father overheard the phone call between Dave and Scott, and he freaked the hell out. I'm talking ripped the phone from Scott's hands and told whoever was on the other line to never call back again because he knew that wasn't the voice of a teenager. It was the voice of a grown man. Scott, Dave, and Casey all chatted and joked about how dramatic their parents were and blah, blah, blah. Not long after this, during the week of October 11th, one night, Jessica and Casey, who's her best friend, were having a sleepover at Casey's house. And they were home alone as Rick was at work and Tim and Eric were hanging out with friends. And the girls were talking on the phone with Dave while just chilling in Casey's room. Well, while on the phone, they began hearing rustling coming from outside of the home. This was startling for the girls. As I said before, Casey's home was out in the middle of nowhere. Therefore, there was no such thing as foot traffic. The girls started freaking out and they were closing the blinds and the curtains and turning off the lights in the room and hiding. And then they hear a creak come from inside the home. Oh, my God. But it wasn't just any sound. Casey knew this sound. It was the sound of a loose floorboard in the kitchen. Everybody knew which board it was and how exactly it sounded. It was a specific sound. 
The girls freaked out, dragging Casey's dresser to barricade themselves into the room and while on the phone with Dave this entire time and telling Dave everything that was happening, how scared they were that they knew someone was in the house, they were going to call police. And he just kept being like, guys, you're just being dramatic. Like, just chill out. You're fine. And then the noises finally stopped. On the morning of Tuesday, December 3rd, 2002, Casey and Sam, her other best friend, were hanging out outside of Casey's locker in between classes when Sam noticed that Casey's locker had a photo of Sam inside. Sam said to Casey, I'm sorry, had a photo of Scott, her boyfriend. And Sam said to Casey, he's hot. But Casey thought she said he's fat. So this started like a massive middle school feud right Uh there. Yeah. Casey and Sam got into this massive argument during the and during which Sam somehow like asked a question to Casey. How did you get this picture? And she said, oh, well, Scott mailed it to me. So Sam starts freaking out, being like, Casey, we're not supposed to give our addresses to people. Like, you're giving your phone number, you're giving your address. Like, this is not safe. Like, he could, quote, be an 80-year-old rapist, and the photo was actually of his grandson. This worsened their argument, obviously, and caused a massive feud throughout the entire day in the seventh grade halls. So much so that the school counselor named Diana Keller actually had to get involved. Sam told Diana everything about Scott and Dave and how she was worried for Casey because she was just too naive and trusting of these strangers. She was giving out her phone number and address, which is something her father would never approve of, as he was a freaking cop. Diana Keller sat down with Casey next, and she warned her of the dangers of chat rooms. Casey nodded her head, you know, just rolling her eyes, sighing under her breath, telling Miss Keller that she only gave her phone number to people that her father approved of. Miss Keller didn't believe her and just continued on with her lecture about how unsafe it is to be online and to never agree with to meet with anybody you meet on the internet without a parent involved. Keller then told Sam and Casey to come in together, and they sat and talked out their argument and officially reconciled. Sorry, I don't know why I couldn't get that word out of my mouth. So after this, um, they were dismissed and sent back to class. And Casey asked Sam if she could spend the night at her house. But Sam said her mother wouldn't allow it as it was a Tuesday night. So they had school the next day. She then went and asked Jessica, who said the same. And then Casey actually asked two more of like acquaintance friends, like not her best friends, but just people they hung out with. This was odd because everyone knew that school night sleepovers were not allowed and they never had been. So why was Casey being so persistent about it now? Casey told her friends that she was just convinced it was going to be snowing that evening and that they would get the day off of school the next day. But it was a slim chance because it doesn't really snow a lot in Arkansas, in Arkansas I guess. I don't know. Um, Casey wasn't upset with her friends, though. So she hugged them, said goodbye and got on the plane. Um, the plane. Nope. Just kidding. The bus after school went to head home. To Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. They, she flew to Los Angeles. Um, and she was telling them how she's so excited to go do her snow ritual, which is something that we all did. The spoon underneath the, well, I guess you didn't really have I to. I didn't need that. Yeah. What, what is it? It's like you flush salt down the toilet. You put a spoon underneath your pillow. <laughs> a stone ri- or snow ritual. Yeah. It's a snow ritual. Did you have a snow ritual? Why you didn't need it. Snow ritual. You're probably like a sun ritual for you. Guys. We would get probably like two weeks off out of the year, at least fourteen That's days so wild. from snow. No, you like put a spoon underneath your pillow. You do like there's like a whole thing you do. I Does used to it do work. It. No, it doesn't work. Oh. I mean, sometimes it works, but you just get lucky. It's well, just the like, kids that are listening. It works. Well, that evening, 
Casey was at home alone. And this was because Tim was working on a research project like really late in the college library. And um, Eric was in his electrician's class and Rick was on duty. And Teresa, Casey's aunt who lived next door, was at her youngest daughter's basketball game. So Casey took a shower and put on her favorite PJs, which were a part of his her snow ritual, by the way. Aw. Uh-huh. And she began talking on the phone with Dave, whose aunt was very close to passing. So he and his family were driving from California to Arkansas to be with her when she passed. But all the while, she was doing this while messaging back and forth with her boyfriend, Scott, on Instant Messenger. So I'm going to be reading these messages with Morgan back and forth that I obtained um, from Kathy Fry's transcripts during her four-part series with the Arkansas Online, which was one of my sources I listed in the beginning, as well as the timeline that follows of events. So Morgan's going to be reading Scott, which is Taz2999, and I'm going to be reading uh, Casey's, which is Model Behavior 63. Okay. All right. Hey, sweetie. Hey. How are you, my angel? Okay. You? better now that you're on sweetie guess what guess what guess what what he <laughs> he 23 out of 130 kids were picked to sing in front of the school board and i'm one of them Ooh. and wednesday i had band pack practice and thursday i have choir practice that's excellent baby i told you you have the most beautiful voice i have ever heard tonight dave's aunt is going to meet my mommy I'm so, so sorry, baby. At least we know that she will be happy there with your mommy. I'm sure she will look out for her. Yeah, I think they'll be best friends. Hee <laughs> hee. I hope Dave is all right. He is. I'm on the phone. He, yeah, I'm on the phone. He has been laughing at me because he knows it is the best. At least he is laughing. So guess what I got? A lecture. Aw, I'm sorry, baby. On how you could be an 80-year-old rapist. LOL. Hee <laughs> hee. Er, sorry. LOL. <laughs> Hee <laughs> and that the picture is actually of your grandson. How many times have you gotten that one? Hee <laughs> hee. Mm, I've lost count. Well, then she's like, "Do your parents know you talk you talk to people you don't know?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Well, be careful and don't agree to meet with them unless your mom or dad is with you." I was like, "Yeah, okay." She's like, "Well, remember this little talk." I was like, "Okay." Uh-oh. Probably means she's going to talk to you again. I know. I will always be your Teddy Graham, and you will always be my angel, and we will be together forever and always and longer. Aw. Hee <laughs> hee, what are you doing, sweetie? Eating and talking to Dave and singing. Dave and I were crying together for a sec. I told him I loved him, and Mama told him she did too, and, I, and that Mama talks to me, and she said she would take care of his aunt. And then Casey sends a, uh, Scott a link to the weather website. Look at what it feels like outside. Aw. <laughs> That's what he wrote. You can read that. Oh, he says, aw, asterisk, holds her tight and rubs her arms to keep her warm. Then you read it again. Hee hee, I'll always be with you, my angel, because you're all I want to be with. Hee hee, I put my screensaver as the picture I have in my locker. You're the most beautiful angel in the world, Casey. Are you okay, sweetie? Casey didn't respond for a while, but when she finally did, it was at 9.41 p.m., and it just wasn't what she typically wrote, and what she said was, yeah, and she spelled it Y-A-H. Are you busy, baby? Hee <laughs> hee, guess so. You there, baby? Sweetie, are you okay? Please talk to me, baby. When you are ready to talk, sweetie, I'll be here. Are you mad at me, sweetie? Please talk to me, baby. Are you okay, sweetie? Please, God, let her be okay. 
Casey, please talk to me. Please, please. Still no answer. Scott kept trying. Sorry, you're supposed to read that. Oh, it's okay. I didn't. Casey, <laughs> I'm so, so scared. I don't know what to do. Please say something. At 10.15 p.m., Scott actually called the Woody household. Why isn't anyone answering the phone? Ugh. Please. Please pick up Casey. Please. God, please let her pick up. Please be okay, Casey. God, let her be okay. Scott then emailed Jessica. Jessica, please let this be you. Something is wrong with Casey. Her SN is still on and she all of a sudden left during our convo but didn't log off. And I tried to call her and no one answered and we weren't fighting or anything. So I emailed the cops to make sure she was all right. I hope they get it soon. I'm going crazy. I don't know what I would do without her. Please, God, let her be okay. But it was late and Jessica was already asleep. So she didn't get any of these until the next morning. Eric, Tim, Daddy, Danny, anyone, please be there to help her, please. I know something isn't right. Please, please, please. So Eric, the Woody's family friend, returned home at 10.17 p.m. and he got in the shower, got ready for bed, and started his laundry while watching TV. So the washer ended and he went to go flip his clothes, and this was at around 11.30 p.m. approximately. And as he's walking by to the laundry room, he notices that Katie's door was cracked open with the lights on and it's late on a school night. So he knocks on the door to check on her, but there was no response. He then opened the door when he realized that she was not home, but he just assumed maybe she was at Jessica or Sam. So he went on with doing his laundry. So as he started the dryer, Tim arrived home, which is Casey's brother. And Eric asked him if he was supposed to pick up Casey. And Tim said, well, I thought she was here immediately he called his father rick and rick had spoken to casey on the phone around 7 p.m and she had been practicing her saxophone at that point rick told tim to go to aunt Teresa's house and then called jessica and sam's house to see if she was over there as he raced back to the police office to tell his superiors the situation and go home when he got there he called um home again and now a more frantic tim answers and says that he's called everyone that he can think of but casey is nowhere to be found Rick sped home as his fellow officers notified other law enforcement officers in the area to be on the lookout. The first thing Rick noticed when he got home was that Casey's shoes and jacket were hanging by the door. She wasn't wearing them, and it was 39 degrees outside and rapidly dropping with heavy rains in the area. There looked to be signs of a forced entry into the home, and beside the family's computer was Casey's glasses, and they were damaged, so much so that they were missing a lens. He knew that she had taken, um, that she had been taken, and it was only even more so confirmed when he noticed that the family's Yorkshire Terrier was limping and very timid, as if it had been hurt. He immediately called for backup from his units. On the computer screen, messages from Scott, which we just read, were continually, frantically popping up. Eric jumped onto the computer and began messaging with Scott. I'm going to need you to read me again. Um, So again, just like before, these messages were obtained through the transcripts um, written by Kathy Fry. And it starts off with um, model behavior, which is off of Casey's account, and it's Eric typing. He says, hey, Scott, are you there? This is Eric. Oh, sorry. It's me again. As soon as you get this, answer back. Please, I've got to talk to you. I'm on. What happened with you and Casey tonight? Did she just quit talking? Yeah, just went silent. Did anything seem like something was wrong? Nope, not at all. What was the last time that you talked to her? I need as close of a time as you can get. 941 was her last message. Okay, did she say anything out of the ordinary? 
No, just quiet. I can send you our whole convo if you like. No, I've already got it. I just need to know if she if she has seemed like something has been bothering her or needed to talk with someone. Eric then asked Scott for his phone number, his address, full name, age, all of the things. And then he said, okay, well, what was she talking about the school counselor and the guy, Dave? Is anything wrong with her? Well, um, her and Sam have been having a fight and they talked about it with the counselor. Then Sam told the counselor that she was dating me and she got lectured. Don't worry about Dave. He is just a good friend. I would have said something if I didn't think he was a good guy, but he is cool. So what happened tonight that she just seemed quiet and did she talk about going somewhere with someone? Eric, can you tell me the truth now? Where is Casey? Just tell me. I've got to know. It's very important. Um, I don't think so. Not tonight, but she was on the phone. Do you know with who? Dave. I'm going to get off of here, and but I will leave it connected just in case. Thanks so much for the help. Anytime, but can you answer something for me? What's that? What happened to Casey? Now, this is the same question that everybody is asking. Sam and Jessica were then questioned the next morning at school when the news broke that Casey was missing. The FBI, Arkansas Pol- uh, State Police, and every law enforcement agency in Faulkner County began working on Casey's case using all their resources to search the area. Sam and Jessica told investigators about Scott and Dave and Scott having her address and both of them having her phone number, and FBI agents in Atlanta were then immediately sent to Scott's home, where his mother answered the door and learned about Scott's online girlfriend that she had no idea about. The entire home was searched, and it was confirmed that he was using his real identity, but it still leaves the question, who is Dave? Scott told officers that... um, about Dave and how he was coming to Arkansas to visit his dying aunt. Officers pulled up his profile and found the name David Dave Fagan. Investigators used this to try and track down a Dave in the area, but it was a dead end. So they began calling around to airports, car rentals, motels, all in the search for Dave, or a Dave F, when they finally got a hit at a Motel 6 in Conway. A man named David Fuller had checked in on December 2nd, booking his room for an entire week and requesting no maid service for the entire time, and then he freaked out on the staff because of the lack of internet service in his room. Detectives arrived at the motel and searched David Fuller's room where they found his packed suitcase, a laptop, camo clothing, rubber gloves, and a bed that was fully made and had not been touched yet. So, like, not slept in at all. Oh, my gosh. Outside the motel was David Fuller's car with California plates. Other officers were able to track down David Fuller to an Enterprise rent-a-car where he had rented a silver Dodge Caravan minivan. Using this purchase, they were able to track down his credit card information and get a search warrant. On December 4th, using the emergency search warrant they got, they were able to determine that Dave had also rented a Guard Smart storage unit in Conway. At this point, the media had taken this case and they were covering it in real time, releasing all of the new leads and findings as they were breaking, including the identity of a man named David Fuller, who was placed on and this was placed on the airwaves and news channels throughout the area. Immediately, officers from the FBI and local law enforcement arrived at Dave Fuller's storage unit at 6 p.m. The door was shut to the unit, but there was no lock. Conway Police Sergeant Jim Barrett then began to enter the storage unit when a single gunshot rang out. Officers ran for cover and called for backup while screaming for whoever was inside to come out with their hands up, but no one was responding. 
From what they could safely see inside, they saw the Dodge minivan had been backed into the unit and the engine was on and running. SWAT team arrived on the scene and they stormed the unit and it was a gruesome sight. So trigger warning before we get into this. Um, if you let your kids listen. I don't listen, even want to know. Maybe don't anymore. Um, David Fuller was lying slumped over in the back seats of the minivan that had been removed and were sitting beside the car in the unit. He was holding a nine millimeter and had a single gunshot wound to his head. He had committed suicide. Sergeant Barrett then found Casey and she was dead. She was lying face up in the back of the minivan naked with her wrist and ankles chained to the four corners of the van's floor. Fuller had abducted Casey from her computer chair while on the phone with her, forced a chloroform rag into her mouth before dragging her body to his car where he trained her, chained her up and then drove her to the storage unit. Once there, he turned on the local radio station to listen to the reports of the investigation as he repeatedly raped 13-year-old Casey before shooting her in the head and waiting for the officers to find him with a gun sitting under his chin. Medical examiners could not determine her time of death. However, it was determined that she had been deceased for hours at that point. But again, who is David Fuller? David Leslie Fuller was born on January 18, 1955 in Salt Lake City, Utah, making him 47 years old at the time of Casey's abduction. Fuller was the fourth and youngest child of his devout Mormon parents. Growing up, he was very quiet and shy. He never did well in school, and when he graduated high school, he went on to play guitar in several rock bands. He married an unidentified woman at the age of 19 and moved to Moab, but they quickly split up. Um, that After that, he met his wife, Sally Krenz, at a bar where he was performing. The two later married in May of 1983 and moved back to Salt Lake City. In 89, Fuller became a Navy CB, and uh, the couple moved to Gulfport, Mississippi, where they had their son, and then later moved to Maryland, where they had their daughter. After the birth of their daughter, the family moved to San Diego in 97, and Fuller left the Navy in 99. As the years went on, Fuller developed uh, severe anger issues and violent mood swings, spending hours a day talking online and then walking around the neighborhood at night for hours while talking on the phone. In June of 2002, Sally began filing for divorce when Fuller and his kids were visiting his parents. In August, CPS of uh, California had to investigate a claim that Fuller had been inappropriately showering with his seven-year-old daughter after um, this he went to Sally's home because they were separated, living separately now. And he began basically slapping and screaming and threatening her as well as their children. So she called police and was able to lock herself and her kids into a bedroom safely. And he was charged with spousal abuse. Which I I'll, hate this man. Yeah, it just gets worse. At the time, he was working as a used car salesman when he was arrested and fined for indecent exposure after showing his penis to two little girls in public and he was then fired but like fined and arrested right no like what fined no 
After his death, the FBI searched his entire apartment where they found framed photo collages of Casey. Notes with her phone address, age, information, um, as well as everything he knew about her life, her friends, her family, and photos of all of them as well. They discovered that while using the Dave Fagan persona, he had attempted to groom at least three other girls Casey's age since the winter of 2000. During this time, he tried to buy a Michigan girl a plane ticket to come see him. He then mailed a Dallas girl flowers and many other instances similar to this. They also found that Fuller had been to Arkansas twice before Casey's abduction and death, both in the fall of 2002, once specifically being the week of October 11th, the same week that Jessica and Casey heard someone in the Woody's home and freaked out while on the phone with David. <sighs> on November 2nd, he bought his 9mm and flew to Little Rock, where he rented a car, drove to Conway, booked his same motel room for a week, and rented his storage unit. They believe that this was his first attempt at abducting Casey, whereas the first time he just wanted to stalk her, her family, and friends. Before returning to Arkansas for the final and third time, he purchased chains, zip ties, duct tape, and a bottle of chloroform. He then drove to Arkansas, rented the car, motel, uh, prepared his storage unit, and then watched Casey until he saw his time. As family and friends learned of the news of Casey's death, they gathered on her front porch and mourned together. And it started snowing. They knew it was a message from Casey and that she was now safe in heaven with her mother. Casey's funeral was held on December 9th and uh, she was buried beside her mother and her cousin Jonah. The Fullers, I'm sorry, the Fullers, Fullers, the Dave, I want to cuss really bad, but I know your kids are listening, um, were cremated, his remains were cremated and given to his wife, Sally. Fuller's parents were still alive at the time of his death and begged authorities to allow him, allow them to call Rick and express their sorrows and condolences for what their son had done. However, they were not allowed to. Fuller's DNA was then ran in the national database as officers were convinced that this was his, not his first abduction due to his skill in planning, but there were no additional links. Casey's family and friends founded the Casey Woody Foundation after her death, a nonprofit organ, uh, organization designed to teach parents and children about internet safety in uh, Casey's honor as her main goal in life was to help others. In 2003, Rick granted federal and state authorities permission to use Sorry, Casey's story in an Internet safety um, and law enforcement training program ran by the FBI called Innocent Images, where the FBI um, released patches with a teddy bear sitting in front of um, a computer and the computer screen read Casey Woody 1989 to 2002 for their task force. And that's a case of Casey Woody. I hate that case. I do, too. It's so tough, but like you have to talk about it. Yeah, that especially with her family, like allowing so many people to really like share her case like the internet is so scary it's so dangerous it's so dangerous <sighs> and i just remember like when we were growing up like yes you knew not to give your address out but like it really wasn't spoken on no like, no one really understood the dangers of the internet then it was spo- it was spoken things about like this had to happen in yeah. order for us to really be like it was the oh, horror okay, stories that yeah. they told us like yeah you know like i think back and i remember thinking the same thing, like oh, mom you don't know what you're talking about like you don't have the internet like that's yeah. not how it is it's safe and you know, but and then like again, you're thinking like, oh, what's the danger of giving someone your phone number? Right. Okay, phone area books, codes. area codes. You can right. look up. Yellow Pages had 
everybody's, everybody's address. Em- that is so dangerous. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many things. Like, yeah. you, I, I can look up someone's phone number right now, and yeah. I can get their entire address information, who their family is. Like, I can do that. Yeah, so terrifying. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, that's episode 85. That's our 104th episode that we've ever recorded, not including Patreon. Crazy. Wild. And we hit a million streams. And we hit a million streams. So, yeah. Pop a bottle of champ for us because we have to take a break and let our livers breathe for a minute. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I love that. I think you did a really good job. I mean, I, ha- I hated it. Yeah. But I did. I did. It a, it's a good case. Yeah. It's a good case to talk about, especially with kids listening and stuff. So then he, the boyfriend was who he said he was. He was how old? Yeah, he was 14 or 13, 14. Yeah. He really was from Alpharetta. Like, well, the the first time I heard this case was on another podcast, and I'm not going to really, like, shed too much light on it because, um, yeah, we had to move our mics. I'm not going to shed too much light on it because it actually caused a lot of stuff legally um, with that other one. Anyways, I listened to it, and um, they never really gave, gave me any closure about Scott because I was convinced that Scott was another persona by this Dave guy. Mm-hmm. But when I finally read through um, Kathy Fry's entire reporting, like she talks about it a lot. Does anyone um, talk about why Casey felt like she needed to have a friend sleep over that night? No, but I people speculate that she knew Dave was coming like in town and, and that she they were going to see was each a other scared. And- yeah, I think they might have planned to see each other. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Scott was reacting the way he did, I know something's wrong. Like, you know, like, yeah, because most of the time, like when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, you fell asleep. I would yeah. text. A- and him and Dave talked. Yeah. So he, he might have known like, something. Hey, I'm going to see Casey tonight. Yeah. Like something like that, you know, I don't know. But, you know, when when I when I was reading through that, I was like, she definitely maybe knew that he was coming into town maybe gonna try to see her or maybe they set something up and she just Mm -hmm. wanted to be like i'm at my friend's house yeah but then like i think about poor jessica and sam like they're probably thinking like i'm sad i didn't let her come over but then would he have come there and killed us too yeah but and then jessica was with her the The first first time time he was in her home yeah so fucked that's so scary yeah I hope your kids aren't listening. I just said the F word. Sorry. I did good. You did really good. We did good. We did good. Because there was a lot of times that I wanted to be ripping, ripping people apart. David apart. Yeah. Specifically. David specifically. Because everybody else did great. This is probably one of the very only stories I can be like, you know what? Everybody in this did a great job other than the yeah. murderer. Oh. <sighs> poor father and brothers. That is a lot of trauma. I mean, yeah. Like that family, you think like, you know, after that, like you lose your niece, you know, you lose your wife in a car with your kids in the car. Mm-hmm. You thinking like, God, like that's all you can give. Like, that's enough. Like, that's enough heartbreak. That's enough trauma. That's enough death in one yeah. family. Ugh. But they, they've done such an amazing job at really like doing Casey justice mm-hmm. by allowing people to share her story yeah and on that note the internet is way crazier than it was in 2002 oh so if your kids are on tiktok and or your kids are on i don't know what else instagram but like even like like video game or not games but like games on the phone like among us like there's a chat room there yes i know that's an old game now but like 
well, Roblox it. Like, too. Like, Roblox. There's yeah. a chat room. Like all, all of those. that stuff. Like kids can talk. Kids can. And so you need to be monitoring. You need to be on that shit, um, teaching them. Yeah. Because another thing is, is. And I know kids are hard headed. They're so hard headed. They have. I mean, we have. no. We were those kids. We were those kids that were literally like, mom, you're crazy. You're crazy. You know, but it it's real. It's true. And I, I know they're probably like, mom, dad, all you do is listen to true crime podcasts. Of course, you're going to be scared. No, if you're listening to this and your parents are crazy, true crime obsessed and crazy, crazy, creepy obsessed, listen to them. Okay, like this is serious. And then on another note, that trauma bond, most people that are internet predators, they use Mm -hmm. something traumatic in the person's life to bond them to that person. Casey wouldn't have continued that conversation if it wasn't for his aunt. It was something that was a, uh, she let her guard down over her mom. Yeah. All in all, if you are, you know, under the age of 18, you should, or in general, you should never be chatting Mm -hmm. with somebody that you do not know. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the ability to track an IP address is like the snap of the fingers. Like it's insane. Like if someone wants to figure it out, they will. So just be careful. And if you're listening to this and you're one of those predators, like we'll come for you. We will personally come for you. We'll we'll be Dexter killers. Sorry. <laughs> Arrest me now. But seriously, like I'm not the joking. FBI and CIA is like, finally, we got them. <laughs> They're like, that's the one we needed. It that's was a conditional threat. <laughs> you messed up. Pull it up now. They're right they come outside. No, but no, seriously, though, like there's so many ways to get around things now, you know, like. Because the FBI, all these, you know, law enforcement, they're not going to have you on your radar unless you are a predator in general. Right. So if you've flown underneath the radar for this long, you can get away with shit. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. It's awful. All right. Um, That's all we got. Get your kids off of here now. <laughs> happy 85. Happy 85. Happy, happy 1 million. Happy 1 million. And happy charisma. <laughs> Hope that was charismatic why do you say that word charismatic Charismatic. enough for you guys today love you bye